Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Great. Welcome everyone to Shofar Sekunda's English Sermon. You know, what an honor and a privilege it is to be here with the lovely guys and wonderful band. And, you know, in the week as I was just praying for our church specifically, I was just reminded again of the group of people that God has brought together to see His kingdom come, to see His name lifted up, to see His will be done. And I just thought, yes, wow, Lord, thank you for the privilege to labor in the kingdom with such amazing men and women, Lord, gifted people that you have called, Lord, with a passion and a willingness to see your kingdom come and to see your will be done. If you are new with us, please feel free to reach out to us. And there's a couple of numbers that you'll find as you go through the contact list. Some small groups there. Some uh, of the office numbers also on there so that you can reach out to us. If you're listening to the recording, watching the video, please reach out to us so that we can see how we can connect with you and walk with you in this interesting times that we are going through. We are busy with a small sermon series called Sinner or Saint. And today we're going to look at part two called responding to grace, responding to grace. You know, we're busy with the seven series, looking at the life of David and comparing it a bit to the life of Saul. These first two kings of Israel, you know, both of them did a couple of things. You know, there's some sin in their lives, but, you know, for Saul, God comes and he takes the kingdom away from him. And for David, God just simply does not seem to remove his steadfast love from him, doesn't remove his spirit from him, doesn't remove his presence from him, doesn't take away the kingdom from him. Yet David's sin seems to be a bit worse in our eyes than that of Saul. And we're asking the questions, Lord, what is going on here? And the first time we see that God is the one that extends grace. He's the one that moves first. It's not that that sets them apart. You know, the nature of man is not to confess our sins. So God must move first. So it's whether or not we respond well to Christ. And that is the question we're going to ask ourselves tonight is how do I respond well to grace when God extends his grace? How do I respond? Because there's a biblical way and then there's a less biblical way, if we can call it that. But before we dive into it, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Father. Thank you, Lord. That each and every one of us being here, Lord, is you extending your grace, Lord. It's because of your hand, Lord, drawing us near, Father, your voice calling us, your good spirit leading us, Lord. And we just want to say thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Father, that as we look at these examples, Father, that we might always be people that, that responds well to grace, Lord. Because you will always give grace. You will always pour out your grace, Lord, on your people. For that is what Scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Lord, grace poured out. Spirit given, your word coming to us, Lord, and giving us opportunities to turn to you, to build our faith in you, to strengthen ourselves in you, Lord, to remain in you. But you are the one always working first, Lord, and give us, Father, the ability to respond well. And as we go through this, Lord, may we see, Father, what it means to respond well to grace, Lord. And I come and pray, Lord, for true hearts, Lord, to draw near to you tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are busy, Lord, working in our hearts. Convicting of sin, Lord, teaching the word, Lord, revealing the Son. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. Thank you for your death on the cross, Lord, making a way for us to draw near, Lord, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And thank you, Father, that you work all things to your pleasure, Lord, and to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So to quickly recap was the story of Saul and David and the things that they did, you know, as we're looking at this part two, responding to grace. We said in the first one, if you missed it, you can go and catch that. The videos are on our Facebook page, also on YouTube, and you can go and listen to the recordings and our podcast platform, but also on our website. You can go and catch that. If you missed it, please go and listen to that. But what we said, you know, is looking at the life of Saul and David, Saul being the first king of Israel. And what Saul does is the following, you know, the Philistines, they come up against them as a nation. They're about to make war and they need to go and offer sacrifice to the Lord to ensure that the Lord's blessing and the Lord's word is with them in this battle. You know, wanting to hear from the Lord, Lord, is this something from you? Should we engage in this battle? And if, how should we do it? And interestingly enough, Samuel, the priest is the one that is late. He shows up a little bit late. Let's, yeah, I'm not going to name names, but let's say it's Samuel Lodrit. If, if we had to give him a surname, I don't know. But he shows up late to the party. And interestingly enough, because he's late, Saul says to himself, okay, let me then offer the sacrifices to God. And it looks like it's done with a good heart to ensure that we, we have the blessing of the Lord with us to the, so that we can hear from him so that we don't just go into battle without God being with us. And yes, we might say he didn't wait on the Lord. He was a bit scared of the people coming up against him. But it doesn't seem that bad. And Samuel comes and said, the Lord is taking the kingdom away from you and he's giving it to another. A man after his own heart. And that man is David. But then two chapters later in 1 Samuel 16, it's as if God gives him a second chance. Coming to him and said, the Lord has anointed you king over Israel. Go then, because the Amalekites have raised up against us. They're enticing the nations around them to sin. They're devoting the nations to destruction. Amalek and the, and the Amalekites go and devote to destruction the Amalekites. So God sent Saul in the second mission, you know, to go and redeem himself, if, if we look at it that way, to give him the second chance. And he should go and kill everything. And what Saul does is he doesn't kill all of the animals. They keep some of the best ones back to go and sacrifice to the Lord. Again, it looks like something done out of a good heart. And he doesn't kill Amalek. But also to put that in perspective for us in ancient days, when you kept the king alive of a nation that you won in war, it's like a trophy that you kept for yourself. So we can see a bit of pride there in Saul's heart, you know, wanting to keep this trophy for himself. But his sin is that he doesn't kill everything. And again, it doesn't seem that bad. And Samuel comes and says, the kingdom of God is taken away from you. And he goes and anoints David, king of Israel. The spirit departs from Saul, goes and rests upon David. An evil spirit is given to Saul and he dies later with his son on the battlefield. And then David, and we looked at the son of David and it seems just so much worse. Going, committing adultery, not only with this random woman, but with one of his friend's wife, Uriah the Hittite, that was one of David's mighty men of valor, that fought with him, that moved mountains for him, a known and trusted companion. And as David tries to cover up his sin, he invites him. He says, go and lay with your wife so that he might think the son that's going to be born is, is his own. And he doesn't want to do that, and he makes him drunk, and the, son, the sin just continues. And as Uriah doesn't want to go, he sends a letter with Uriah to Job to say, set him in the forefront of the army where the battle is fiercest, withdraw from him so that he might be struck down. And David plans the murder of this good friend of his. And a year goes by, David has not repented, the child is born. And in both instances we see that what happens is not that David responded out of his own. It's not that he, he seeked the Lord with everything in him. No, but what has happened is that the Lord moved first and we arrived at this point last time sinners or saints point number one it was that it is only the word of god that can break through and turn a sinner into a saint it's only god moving first that is the gospel for the son of man came and seek and to save
the lost. Because we all like sheep have gone astray. No one seeks God. No one does good. That's Romans 3. We all have turned aside. No one seeks God. No one does good. And God comes out of his mercy and he seeks us and he extends his grace towards us. Because the natural tendency of man is not to confess, it's not to repent, it is to, to justify ourselves, to cover up our sins and to simply move on. We justify, we cover up and we move on. And God is the one that responds first. He's the one that extends grace. You know, the scripture says in John 16 verse 8 that the Holy Spirit will come convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. But it's God's work that, you know, comes into our lives and convicts us of the sin. And whenever it happens, it is God extending his grace. You know, and we looked at these two passages, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. It's on the board there. You can read with me. And 1 Samuel 15, verse 16. That is where we left off last time. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said. God sending his messenger, sending his word to break through that heart of stone. So that they can repent and turn to the Lord. Grace being extended. You know, and I want us to, as we consider that, as we think about that, always view it in that way. Whenever God comes and whenever the Spirit comes and convicts us of sin, presses that area of your life that you don't like so much or the sin comes to the surface, think of it this way. It is God extending grace. It is God drawing you closer. God never shows us areas in our lives that He can condemn us or shift us away. That is not the heart of God. He's always to bring us closer that He can work with us through that so that He can renew and restore and realign us of the path that He has for us. So whenever you feel that way, just know that it's God extending grace. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is how then do we respond well to grace? How do we respond well? So let's first look at the life of soul and see how not to respond to grace this is not a great example this is not a biblical way this is the first example how not to respond to grace in the life of Saul it says here in 1 Samuel 15 verse 20 to 21 just after Samuel come and said you didn't obey the voice of God you didn't do what God commanded you a second time and the scripture reads and Saul said to Samuel I have obeyed the voice of the Lord but the people but the people took of the spoil to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And note there, Saul doesn't say the Lord my God. He says the Lord your God at Gilgal. Not something that's central in his life. I obeyed, but the people, Lord. It wasn't me. And then again it says in 1 Samuel 15, 28, as Samuel instructs him of what the result of his sin will be, then all of a sudden we see something shift in Saul's life. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. Then he said, when he realized the result, then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And that is a perfect example of how not to respond to grace when God comes and convicts us of sin. He shifts the blame to the people. He says, Lord, I have obeyed your voice, but the people... I know I am in charge, Lord. I know that I am supposed to take you know, authority over this group of people. I know that I should take ownership over them. But I obeyed, Lord. But these people, they did not obey your voice. They took some of the spoils. They come and offer it for you. And you know what? The interesting thing is just to put it into perspective here for us. Like I said, God said it's his job. He's coming and he's convicting us of sin. I love the Afrikaans word. It says, oortuig. Convicts us of our sins. 
And what soul is busy doing is saying, no, Lord, you have it wrong. I know, Lord, King of Kings, you know, the one who knows everything, you have it wrong here. It's not and Let me just help you here. It wasn't me. It was the people. You know, we're seeing this. We sometimes do that as well. No, Lord, I know you know everything, but let me just help you out here. It wasn't me. You have the wrong guy in mind. It's the people. I have obeyed your voice. And then we also see one of the things that, that struck Saul the moment he says, I've sinned, at least he confesses it. It's not when he realized that what he did wasn't right in the sight of God. It's when he realized that the result wasn't pleasing unto him. When he realized that the kingdom of God was going to be taken away from him, then he said, I have sinned. He didn't say my desires have been led astray from the one I should be desiring and that is God. No, he said my desires have led to an undesirable result. That is why I'm sorry. You know, that is like us when we write the math test and we realize we're not going to make it. And we say, sorry, Lord, I didn't learn. Please help me through this one. Confession and repentance will not give you 90% on your math test. It will only offer you forgiveness of sin. But the result of it, that will remain. And God disciplines us through that. And we're going to look at that in two weeks' time, how God disciplines us through the results of our own sins. But that is not what's happening here. This is worldly sorrow. Versus godly repentance. Worldly sorrow says, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sorry for the things that I've done. I'm just sad about where it led to. I don't like the result. I don't like the outcome. That is why I want God to come and change this. Not the desires, not the sin, just the outcome. And we also see here that Saul's heart is not set on God. It's set on the people. Yet honor me before the people. What he's basically saying to Samuel is come with me. And let's go offer the sacrifices and the thanksgiving to God that a king would normally do after his victory. So that they still think I'm king. What if they don't think I'm important anymore? What if they know the kingdom's being taken away from me? Yet on me before the people, before the leaders, lest they think I'm not that impressive. You know, we read in scripture, John 12, it's not on the screen, but you can go and read that at home. Verse 42 and 43. It says the authorities of Jesus' day that many started to believe in Jesus, but they did not confess it publicly because they were scared of the Pharisees and that they were going to be put out of the synagogue. And it says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love the praise of the people more than the praise of God. They love the honor of the people more than the honor of God. And Paul writes the same in Galatians 1 verse 10. He says, Am I then seeking the approval of man or of God? Because if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we see Saul's heart here. And the problem with Saul is that his repentance isn't true. And it's neither set on God. His heart is not true. And it's neither set on God. He doesn't even acknowledge that he sinned against God. You know, if we want to actually put it into perspective, and that's what we do sometimes as well, he's actually thinking that he sinned against himself because the result is not desirable for himself. I'm mad at myself because look at where I got myself. If the result was different, if God did not take away the kingdom, I would have just continued the way that I've continued. That is worldly sorrow. It's not godly repentance. That is not how to respond to grace. But look at what David does. David, scripture in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, it's just so quickly and it's so overwhelming. It says the following. 
David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. It's like, Lord, what? That quick? That sudden? Doesn't seem fair. He just said it. I've sinned against the Lord. And you simply say, Lord, that you've forgiven his sin. You've put it away. You will not die. That doesn't seem fair, Lord. In comparison to Saul, and it doesn't seem just concerning sin. We look at the justness of sin next week. How is it that the righteous God that judges righteously is still righteous and just after passing over certain sins? Just looking away from them as it might seem, how is it that that still happens? We're going to look at that next week. But now let's look at the difference between David and Saul. How is this fair, Lord, concerning Saul? Why is his sin not forgiven? He also said the words, I've sinned. I know David said he sinned against you, Lord, but how so quickly, how so sudden? Just simply passed over his sin. Just simply put it away. What has happened here? In both cases, the Lord acts first, but they respond differently to grace. This is how you respond to grace. We see David here saying, I've sinned against the Lord. He doesn't make excuses for his sin. He takes ownership of it. You know, he doesn't say, Lord, you know, when I heard that Batsheba was there, the, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, I remembered, man, this is a friend of mine. This is a friend of mine, Uriah. So I just wanted to send to his wife and ask, how's it going? I know your, your, your husband's busy fighting a war. Do you need me to tell you how it's going with them? Do you need to be reminded? Do you want to send a letter to them? Must I bring him here so that he can be with you for a while? That's what I wanted to do, Lord. I had good intentions. Then she came on to me, believe it or not. And you know, I'm just a man. I gave into that temptation. You know how weak we are as men when it comes to that area. No, he didn't make any excuses. He took ownership of his sin and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he says that I've sinned against the Lord. It's not that the result is undesirable. I'm not sorry because of the result. Yes, I don't like it and what's going to come, but I acknowledge that I've sinned against the Lord. And when David says that, because he says, you know, I've sinned against the Lord alone. We're going to read that in Psalm 51. Against you, O Lord, have I sinned. And he doesn't say that he didn't sin against other people. He doesn't say he didn't harm them. He doesn't say he didn't ruin their lives, maybe. He didn't even end it in death for Uriah and some of the other people. But what he's saying, he says, the root of sin is directed towards God. Do we realize that? When we sin, the foundation of it is directed towards God. God. It's God's law that we break. We were created in the image of God to give glory unto God, to live for Him and through Him. And the moment we deviate from that, we sin against God. And we miss that in today's generation. We don't think about it that way. I've, I've, I've gossiped about these people and you know, I shouldn't do that to them. But do you realize that you've also sinned against God? Unforgiveness, that's sinning against God. Do we realize that? I shouldn't have made them that angry. No, you shouldn't have sinned against God primarily. And David understands that principle. He wrote a psalm about this. In Psalm 51, you can go and read that. Also, psalm 51 about this sin in David's life. And David says the following. Psalm 51, verse 1 to 3. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For... Because of this is the reason, Lord, I'm imploring you to forgive my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Why is that the fall? Why is that the reason, David says, Lord, because of this, please forgive me. This is the foundation, Lord, I'm saying that you, you can forgive me for. For this reason, Lord, forgive me. Why is that the fall? Because David takes ownership of his sin. He says, I know my transgressions and I know my sin is ever before me. He says, Lord, I know what's wrong in my life. I know what I have done. Forgive me of this. Because God cannot forgive the sin we pretend we do not have. God cannot forgive the sin we pretend we do not have. Because we will not confess the sin we pretend we don't have. We won't confess it unless we take ownership of it. Why will I repent of it? It's not my fault. Someone else's fault, Lord, I told you, it's not me, it's the people at work and, you know, the amount of work and these people, you know, my, my wife or my husband, Lord, you know how they are sometimes. That's why you will not confess the sin that you pretend not to have unless you've taken ownership of it. You will not be forgiven for it. We read that in scripture. 1 John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin. It's not on the board. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins. He's righteous and judge. And he will forgive us of our sins. And he will cleanse us of all iniquity. But if we say we have no sin. We make God out to be a liar. And the truth is not in us. He will not forgive the sin. We pretend not to have. God simply won't do that. You know Vodi. Barkham says that sometimes at the university, students come up to him and to speak about philosophy and they ask him, you know, the age-old question. They think every time that they've come up with this great question all by themselves. But they ask him, how is it that God, being all-powerful and all-loving, can allow evil to exist in the world? And then he says to them, I will answer the question if you ask it properly. And they said, it's my question. How can you tell me to ask my question? And he says, how we ask the question properly is by saying, Lord, how is it that you know what I thought and said and did yesterday and did not kill me in my sleep last night? Because we all deserve to be judged and for the wrath of God to be poured out upon us. Why is it that God has not consumed all of us? Because if we don't ask the question that way, we think like Saul, the problem is out there, not in here. Look at what David says God delights in. Psalm 51 verse 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. How many times we read that verse 5 and we think David is using it as an excuse, because we many times do. I was geboren and sonde. Lord, my mother conceived me in sin. I was born in sin. I can't help it. Lord, you need to save me from this sin. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. But David is not using it as an excuse. What David is saying through those couple of verses is that in holy and sinless heart, I cannot bring to God because I simply do not possess it. From the day I was born, I was conceived in sin. A holy and sinless heart, I don't have that. And then he says in verse 6, but thanks to God, because he does not delight in a sinless, holy heart, but he delights in his truth in the inward being. 
It's a sinful heart, Lord, but I can bring it to you in truth, in honesty, in sincerity, saying, Lord, this is who I am. This is how I feel. This is how I think. I know it's not biblical, Lord. I know my heart drifts astray, but this is how I feel. It's not a holy, Lord, but it's truthful. You know, and we've been singing this last couple of whiles, you know, that Psalm 90 by Shane and Shane, teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That is where that phrase is found. Verse 6, teach me wisdom in the secret heart, Lord. What is that wisdom? To come to God in honesty, in transparency, in truth. Because that is what he delights in. Not perfection, not holiness, because we cannot bring that. We don't have it. But we can be honest. That is why the scripture says in Hebrews 10, 22, draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith. True heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see the Lord. Not pure, that is sinless or holy, but pure, that is, that is sincere, that is honest, that is truthful. Lord, this is my heart. This is who I am. I'm hiding nothing from you, Lord. So we see Saul's heart was neither true nor set on God, but David's heart is true and set on God. There's this quote by Henry Cloud, and he says, the sad thing is that most of us come to Christ as sinners and spend the rest of our lives pretending that we are not. We come to Christ as sinners, but spend the rest of our lives pretending that we are not. Hiding the sin, lack of confession, because I don't take ownership of what's going on in my life. And God delights to forgive you once. That is the gospel. And that takes us to point number two. Sinner or saint, point number two. God delights in forgiving the heart that is true and set on him. God delights in forgiving the heart that is true and set on him. Is that not the gospel? That the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And that when we respond, when grace is extended in truth, with the heart that is set on him, God delights to forgive. Is that not the gospel? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We don't seek God. He comes, he extends grace, and he doesn't expect perfection when we respond to him. He expects truth in a heart that is set on him. Is it not the man that seeks God, a man that is after God's own heart? Is that not the man? Man after my own heart, why? Because he seeks my heart. And whenever his desires have been led astray, he pursues again. And it's only when we are aware of the condition of our hearts before God that we can bring it back into line with our minds. And what I mean by that is we know the things that we should not think, should not do, should not desire, yet we do them, yet we think them, yet we desire them. Paul writes about that. See, I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do and that which I do want to do, I struggle to do them. Why? Because my heart's out of line with my head. We are leered away by our desires. And it's only when I'm honest and transparent before God, saying, Lord, I know that I'm not desiring what I should. I know what I should desire. I'm not desiring that. My heart's there. But help me bring it back here. That God delights to forgive. He delights to renew. He delights to restore the heart that is set on him. You know, many times we have this tendency. We, we do it with people. Unfortunately, the word around us teaches us this, but to pretend, especially when it comes to high-standing people. None more high standing than God, by the way. And we tend to pretend, you know, we have this, this, this job interview mentality with God. When people go into the interview, you come, what questions did they ask? You know, how should I respond? What should I say? 
And we sing the same way with God many times. When people say, you know, there was this prayer of Jabez in Scripture. Let's see what he prayed so that we can use those words so that God can bless us as well. Or people send around stuff. This is a powerful prayer. You need to pray this over your household, over your family. There's nothing wrong with those words. But we consider the words that we pray while God consider the heart that is praying those words. We consider the words that we pray while God considers the heart that is praying those words. The scripture doesn't say that the righteous prayer avails much. It says the prayers of the righteous is powerful in its working, availing much. It is the person that is praying, the heart that is speaking those words. That is what gives power to pray. It's that prayer of an honest and transparent heart before God that moves mountains. Not perfect, Lord, but it's sincere and it's honest. It's what I have to bring. I lay it down before you, Lord. Like the one Afrikaans song says, Leofail Hande, empty, dirty hands, because that is what I have to bring to my king. And he comes and renews, restores, and realigns my path with his. The goodness of God. That is the God that we serve. And I want to leave us with one thought, one scripture in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Just showing again why David was such a man after God's own heart. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, this is as David's brothers are lining up to see who would be the next king of Israel. While David is still in the field because they didn't think it would be him. And it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, on his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what I, what I want to also say by that, as I, le- as I read that to us, that the Lord looks on the heart. We have this strange statement that we make many times. The Lord knows my heart. And to some of us, it's because the Lord knows your heart that he's going to condemn that heart. I just want to say that as well. Our heart still needs to align with biblical truth. And it needs to pursue God so that he can come renew, come restore, and to come realign. With the purposes of God for our lives. Because Saul also said. It's not me. The Lord knows my heart. I'm not speaking about that. The Lord looks at the integrity. The genuineness. The transparency. And the desire of the heart after God. That is why David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. Not because he was holy or pure. But because he was truthful with God. We see through the Psalms. This last couple of weeks. I've asked a couple of people. If they have ever prayed. That God will kill their enemies. Have you ever prayed that? And the answer is mostly no. There's a couple of people interesting I love that said yes. Pray to kill my enemies. David prayed that. David prayed, Lord, kill my enemies. Let their inward being ground, Lord. And the people say, but is it right to pray that, that way? The question now concerning this, we'll maybe speak about it another time. It's not whether it's right, but it's the way he felt. It was the true condition of his heart. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, Lord, but that is how I feel. And we see David writing through the Psalms with no pretense before God. Lord, I feel far from you. I feel near to you. Lord, save the people. Kill the people. This is David. Not a perfect man, but a truthful man. And that is what God delights in. And we should do the same. You know, many times I think to myself as I sit there, I shouldn't think these thoughts. I shouldn't have these desires. So I just repent and I try to move on. Instead of bringing it before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is me. This is my heart. This is how I feel. This is how I think, Lord. I know it's not biblical. I know I should not feel this way. I know I should not think this way. But I do. 
Won't you help me, Lord? Won't you renew? Won't you restore? Won't you realign? I want to ask us, when last did you have a session like that? Just simply going before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is my heart. These are the thoughts I think that I know is not biblical. These are the desires I have that I know I should not have. And I'm going to confess and I'm going to repent, Lord. Yes, but first I just want to lay them bare before you. This is the truth of the inward being in my heart. Can't bring you holiness, Lord. I don't have that. But I can be truthful about the things that's going on in my heart. Because we many times think, you know, whether it's serious or not. Even the little things go and lay it down before God. We many times consider, but is this really a serious thing? Should I really repent of it or not? We contemplate the seriousness of our sin. Well, God contemplates the purity of our repentance. It's not about that. It's just about the heart that comes to God in all honesty. Next week, we'll look at some of the aspects of repentance. What does it entail? Godly repentance. But for now, let's just bring a truthful heart before God. Let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I'm going to end off us in prayer and then we're going to dive into our breakout rooms. And I just want to ask two questions that we can discuss. What's the one thing that stood out for you tonight? And secondly, when is the last time that you just had an open session with the Lord? You don't have to have that open session in your breakout room. Just when is the last time that you just went and poured out your heart before the Lord? What stood out? When was the last time? Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our breakout rooms. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that you are good, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that sometimes we, we get a different idea from the world, Lord, of how you deal and how you act with us, Lord. Whenever someone comes, Lord, at our workplaces or someone of the world, Lord, that doesn't know you and they start to point out things that's wrong in our life, Lord, it's because they want to push us away, Father, say you don't belong here. You don't deserve this job. I need that promotion. We have that, Lord. Many times you come, Father, and you point out those, those things in our lives and we think you are doing the same, Lord, but you are saying you're extending grace. It's to pull you closer. It's so that I can come renew and restore. It's so that I can come and forgive. I delight to forgive. Like for a moment, let this just blow your mind away. That the creator of the universe, the most holy and righteous being to ever exist, God himself delights in this. That we as sinners bring our heart that is full of stuff before him. Just, just let that blow your mind for a moment. Lord, how, how, how is it that if I come and tell you the things I think, Lord, the things I do, Father, the things I desire sometimes, how is it that you don't consume me by your wrath? How is that, Lord? And God said, because there was a day that I crushed my son so that that iniquity can rest on him, so that I don't pour that wrath out on you, but so that I can extend forgiveness and grace. That's how. Let that just blow your mind for a moment. For the goodness of our God. Righteous. Holy. Yet kind and loving. That is the God we serve. And thank you Holy Spirit that you are pressing on certain buttons right now as people are sitting Lord. And I pray Father for the boldness to just respond to grace in a biblical manner. To come Lord with a true and honest heart Lord. Give us the power, Lord, and come and convict us and show us, Father, where we want to justify ourselves, Lord, where we want to blame shift, Father, and where we are pretending not to have certain sins, Lord, so that we can bring it to you because you delight to forgive. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done on the cross, taking the wrath that we deserved, paying that debt, Lord, knowing that we can never pay it back. The goodness of God, 
Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.